All right, so we are in Habakkuk chapter 2, and uh, the book of Habakkuk, I believe, is one of the, I think it's a very important one for us to get a hold of and understand. It's a short book, it's not one you hear a lot of preaching from, but I do, I believe it's very important because it kind of really helps us see into the mind of God uh, when it comes to His judgment. And often, we find ourselves in life just kind of perplexed by the things that we see going on in the world, and we're asking, why doesn't God judge? Why doesn't God do something? We have many people in our world today who have this attitude, well, I don't believe in a God because, you know, if there was a God, there wouldn't be all these bad things going on in the world today. And basically, when people say that, they're just saying, I don't believe in God because God doesn't handle things the way I would handle them. But, you know, when you study the Bible, you find out that, you know, yeah, God doesn't handle things the way we would, but the way God handles things is better. It's always better. But there's one thing that we all have to do when it comes to God's judgment is we have to trust Him and wait. We want it immediately, don't we? But that's not the way it works. And so last week in Habakkuk chapter 1, we saw how he, you know, the prophet, he's wondering, he's like, oh, Lord, we're in a bad situation here because of all that's going on with the Chaldeans kind of surrounding Israel. Your people are transgressing. And Lord, it's time for you to intervene and it's time for you to do something. Either get rid of the Chaldeans because if you solve all our problems, then Israel will behave themselves. you know, Or you need to come and intervene and get Israel to start you know, doing your word and following your law. It's time for you to do something. And then you know, Habakkuk finds out that God is planning on doing something. But when he finds out what it is, he's like, I don't like this. This isn't good. In fact, it's very important that we look back at the last verses of chapter 1 before we go into chapter 2 to help us understand the first verse. But it says in verse 12, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Lord, I get what you're doing. It says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he? He's like saying, God, you're better than this than to allow people that are more wicked to come and have their way with your people. Lord, you, know, you, you, you can't do it this way. Imagine talking to God like that. Okay? But I, I don't believe Habakkuk is out of line here when we see the first verse of chapter 2. But basically, he just goes through and just saying, Lord, this isn't the way to do things. Okay, Now, you and I know we can't do that, right? We're not supposed to question God. But how many of you, if you were honest, would say, sometimes I question God. Sometimes I say, Lord, why aren't you doing something? Or Lord, why are you doing it this way? Lord, this isn't how I would do it. Okay? Now, we all think this way. But, you know, we know better than to say it out loud. But in Habakkuk, was the same way, too. And notice what it says in verse 1. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So it's like he knows I'm going to get corrected by God. I'm going to go. I'm going to stand on the tower. I'm going to wait for God to reprove me because Habakkuk knows he's wrong. But, you know, it's okay for you to be honest with God. I mean, if you're thinking things like that, if you're thinking, Lord, what's wrong with you? Obviously, we want to be respectful to God, but at the same time, it's okay for us to pour our heart out to Him. But hopefully when we do that, you know, we have enough faith and we, we, uh, we understand that 
I am wrong. Okay, and, and, and understand too, you know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that I look at and I don't necessarily get. There's things that I don't necessarily agree with, you could say. But when that happens, I know I'm wrong. Okay, And it's okay for us to just be honest about that. Let's not act like we know everything. God said, my ways are higher than your ways. So don't act like you disagree with God on everything. No, no, actually you don't. Okay, But it's okay when you have a disagreement that you submit to what God says. That's okay to do it. We can be in agreement that way. But I'm not going to act like I understand why God does everything He does. So, so the prophet... He's basically saying, I'm going to wait for the Lord to rebuke me or to reprove me, to show me where I'm wrong. I think this is a good attitude. So verse two says, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. And this was a message of judgment. What we're about to see now in chapter one, we kind of see how God is going to judge Israel with the Babylonians. But now in chapter 2, we're going to see this is about God's judgment on the Babylonians. And we're, after we get through this chapter, we're going to look at some history from the Bible of what happened. Because this is another thing you got to understand. The prophet, when he is saying this prayer, when he's asking God these things, he's, think, he's looking for immediate answers with immediate results. And understand, God did have a plan but you know, it took a long time for that plan to be fulfilled. We actually can read about it real fast in the Bible, but you know, sometimes the work of God, it takes decades. You know, it takes years and years. And, and I don't understand that. I think it should all happen within preferably a 24 hour period, but I can wait a week, you know, <laughs> but that, that's the way I feel about it. But that's just not how God does things. That's, that, that's not his timing on these things, but this was a message of judgment. And uh, I think when he's saying that he may run that read it, I think this was supposed to scare them. And what we're, we're going to see this prophecy here too. This is one that, I mean, they're not getting out of some prophecies. There was a way out of it. This is not one of those prophecies. So verse three says, uh, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie though it tarry wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Okay? Now this verse seems a little confusing here because it says, if, you know, when it tarries, wait for it, but it's not going to tarry. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, what I believe is going on here is, for one, this is, this is a prophecy that's, un, you know, that's, and many prophecies are like this. It's very important whenever you're studying uh, prophecies in the Bible, if it's one that this will happen if you don't repent versus ones that are like, this is going to happen, no repentance available. And we see examples of that uh, throughout the Old Testament where there was a lot of prophecies where if they would get right with God, they could get out of it. Sometimes there would even be ones too, like we talked about last week with Nineveh, where God said, yeah, in 40 days and Nineveh should be overthrown. But yet Nineveh wasn't overthrown in 40 days. You know why? Because the people repented. But some prophecies, it would, the, God would make it very clear to the prophet that this one is going to happen, no getting out of it. Nothing changing. No, there's nothing that's going to change this one. And so when he says it's not going to tarry, what I believe he means by that is God had an appointed time and an appointed timeline for this prophecy. 
Nothing was going to speed it up. Nothing was going to delay it. What God is pronouncing to the prophet, it is. This is set in stone and it's got a set timeline. Because there were other judgments too where the judgment was going to come, but it could be sped up, you know, depending on what they did. Some judgments that the prophets would pronounce, were um, they would often get delayed till the next generation because that generation would get right. But it was like, it's still got to come. But it'll just come for the next generation. So, this particular prophecy that Habakkuk's given right here and why he this is worth the way it is, is because it's one, there's a set time, nothing's changing. So that's what he's talking about there. And this is one that was supposed to scare them. And you know what? You know, there's a lot of prophecies that should scare us. You know, it's okay. Obviously, the goal isn't necessary to freak people out. But you know, people should get scared when they read Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death. They should get scared when they read verses about hell and the lake of fire, and the second death, you know, people should run when they read, just, but run to God when that happens. When they, when they read about these things, that's exactly what they ought to do. So, um, it, so it, uh, when it comes to this prophecy, now in this book, God does not give the timeline. He does not tell Habakkuk what the timeline is. But remember, a contemporary here is Jeremiah. And it was, God did reveal through Jeremiah that it was going to be 70 years. So we don't know this from the book of Habakkuk, but this prophecy that he's talking about here, this judgment that's on Israel is one that was going to be coming before too long. But then the prophecy that he's doing here in chapter two, that's going to come on Babylon, we're going to see it came exactly the way God said, but it was not until 70 years after they came through and took over Jerusalem. So think about that. Because again, Habakkuk decided to hear that God's going to judge the Babylonians for what they were going to do to Israel, but he probably didn't live to see it because it was 70 years later when it happened. And again, we got to remember, God doesn't do things in our time. The Lord's going to take care of our enemies. I want to personally see it. But he, I might be gone before he deals with some of these things. And so we just got to, we got to trust God on these things. So look at verse four it says, behold, his soul, which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And this verse is a very popular verse that is quoted in the new Testament. And we need, we should never be so proud as to think that we are better than God. Said, Even when we don't understand what he's doing, we should have faith that God does know what He's doing. And that's why God tells us to Him here. And what's interesting, so here we have a situation where the prophet doesn't understand what God's doing. But God's telling him, trust me, I'm doing something. And you know what? The just shall live by his faith. And we see that quoted three different times in the New Testament. And in Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, isn't it interesting that Paul quotes this verse when talking about how the gospel is the power of God and salvation? You know, it's foolishness to the Jews or to the uh, Greeks and the Jews. They don't get it. They don't like it. But this is what saves people as it is written. And you know what? 
What is it that people need to do when they hear the gospel? A lot of people don't understand it. Well, surely you got to work your way to heaven. Surely you got to bring something to the table, right? Isn't that what most people think? Certainly you got to turn your life around and you got to, you, you got to commit to following the Lord and doing everything He says to do. Otherwise you're not really going to get saved. It can't be as simple as just you trusting in God and just believing on Him. It can't, it can't be that simple. Well, you know what? While you might not understand that, can I just recommend that you believe it? That's all you can do. I, 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 you know, I think you should make people do some work for it. You know? I mean, I, I think, I think if people are going to keep their salvation, they should at least not be allowed to murder anybody, right? You know? I mean, that, those would be my rules. But you know what? The Bible teaches it's not about works and the Bible teaches eternal security. Well, you know what? You better just trust God. He knows what He's doing on this. And that's how we get saved. We're trusting Him. We believe that He's just going to give us salvation for free because we believed on Him. And that's it. And you, you better believe that. Galatians 3.11 but that no man is justified in, by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Again, when talking about work salvation, we had in, in Galatians, Paul dealt with those Jews that thought you had to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. You've got to do something, right? No, that's not what God said. God says we're not justified by the works of the law. It is evident the just shall live by faith. That was in the Old Testament. The Jews should have understood that. But they didn't get it. We see in Hebrews 10.36, For ye have need of patience. After that ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The promises that God gave Sometimes we have to wait for it. But you know what? It's going to come. And you know what we need to do? We just need to trust God. Each of these examples in the New Testament where it quotes this phrase, the just shall live by faith, it's all in areas where we still see people today struggle. There's things that, we all, that people struggle with because we don't understand it. Because people don't understand how salvation can be that simple. How it can be that free. How it can actually be eternal. They don't get it. They don't understand that. They don't understand a lot of the things about the promises of God. But you know what the Bible constantly emphasizes? Just trust God. He knows what He's doing on this. Just believe it. Just have faith. And so again, I can't, you know, we can't explain how God's going to do everything. But I believe God's going to take care of it. And that's all, that's all God wants from us. That's all God wants from us. We don't have to give people answers for everything that there is. Now, I'm glad we don't have to understand the love of God to believe in the love of God. I don't understand how God can love sinners the way He does. I, I, you know, I don't get that. I don't understand God's plan. And I don't have to explain God's plan. I don't, even have to, I don't even have to understand God's timeline. All I've got to do is just trust that God's going to deal with things. When is the Lord going to come back? When is the tribulation come? When is He going to pour His wrath out on this world? I don't know, but I believe he's going to do it. I have faith that he's going to do it because he said he would. I don't have to have the answers for those things. All I've got to do is just trust that God's going to get it done and I believe he's going to get it done no matter what. So, in this next verse, in verse 5, we're going to see he's back to talking about Babylon who God was going to use to judge his people. So, in verse 5, he says, Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, Okay, and 
make a mental note of that right here. One of the transgressions of Babylon was wine. Just keep that in mind. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play a part later. He is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell and is as death and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations and heapeth unto him all people. What is it that we know about Babylon? They became a world empire. They conquered the world. And you know what? God does not want nations doing that. Did you know it's not God's will for us as, as America, even though we're the greatest nation, to just go invade other countries and spread our freedom to people that don't want it? God does not want us taking over the world. It is not for nations to do that. Nations are supposed to be their own nations. They're supposed to take care of themselves. And obviously we're allowed to defend ourselves and things like that, but we really need to go just making all countries America. No. I mean, I think they'd all be better off. But it's not our place. Just like I think all families would be better off if they followed all the rules of our family. But do I have the right to just go enforcing those things in your homes? No. That, that's not right. That's not what God has called for. And we're going to see here, you know, God's, one of the things God is calling out Babylon, one of the reasons they're going to be judged is because of the fact that they did. They kept enlarging themselves. They were not satisfied with what they had. They just had to keep taking over the world. Why? Just, they could be lifted up with pride. And what do we know about, what, what's one major problem that we know Nebuchadnezzar had? Pride. Go read the book of Daniel. I mean, this guy was so proud. What did he do? He had an image made of himself and forced everyone to bow down and worship it. That's pretty arrogant, isn't it? That's, and, and what did God end up doing to Nebuchadnezzar? God ended up giving him the heart of a beast and humiliated the man for seven years. And then God restored him again. Why? Just to prove to him who's really in charge. Because And remember this. We're going to see this in this chapter. We saw it last week. It was God that allowed Babylon to come to power. God raised them up and God took them down. And Babylon struggled with that. Babylon, they thought, this is us. We did this. We did this. They gave credit to their gods and that was a fatal mistake. So verse 7, uh, or verse 6, says, Shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long and to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. We shouldn't be going and stealing from other countries. Okay? Well, we shouldn't be going increasing what isn't ours. Okay? We shouldn't go invading Iraq so we can help them with their oil production and then we can all benefit off of it. That's not okay. You know, if God cursed Babylon for doing that kind of thing. But it's amazing. You know, it, it, and isn't it this way historically? Whenever you invade other countries, it's usually to help them out. You know, we're here to help. Don't resist. As I said, you know, we, that, that's not right. That is not how things should be done. I mean, you all, man, we just about died last year from all. But verse 7, Shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee and thou shalt be for booties for them? Okay, those that are going to come and get you, they're going to come quickly. Keep that in mind. Because thou hast spoiled many nations. All the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of men's blood for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. So right here he's telling them, Babylon, 
when yours comes, it's going to come suddenly. Okay? It's going to, it's going to come suddenly. Just like you have spoiled many nations, meaning, you know, you went through and you took everything that you, they had to make yourself rich, the same thing is going to be done to you. That's what's coming for you, Babylon. And you know what? What Babylon was doing was evil, but God was using it to fulfill His purpose, but God, but Babylon was going to pay. And you know what? One of the things that we're going to look at this in a little bit when we go through the history that the Bible shows on this, you want to know uh, one of the things that Babylon did? They looted the temple of God. They looted God's house. They spoiled the house of God. Do you really think that God is going to let this army come through and spoil His house, take His vessels, and let Him get away with it? Absolutely not. And you know what? They didn't get away with it. They did not get away with it at all. And so, keep that in mind. It was them that spoiled the temple of God. They took all the things from the house of God. Keep, keep that in mind. So, verse 9 says, Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Remember, coveting is not just wanting something, because there's all things that we want, but we could potentially have. It's when you want things that are not yours to have. Wanting someone else's wife. Wanting something that belongs to somebody else. Not, it's not like if you, if you go to Walmart and you want something there, you know, it's okay for you to want that as long as you're willing to pay for it. It's just when you try to get things in an unjust way. And you know, there might be some things other countries have that we would like, but it's theirs. We don't get, we don't get to take it. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for their very vanity. Nations that rise by the shedding of blood, they will always fall the same way. So we don't want to, we don't want to get rich that way. We don't want that for us. It will come back on us. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God uses these things to get glory. And God is going to get glory for everything. And he said, but how is God being glorified when all this bad is happening to Israel? He's going to be glorified when these people pay for it. That's when, that's when he's going to be glorified. In the end, God gets all the glory. And we're going to keep seeing bad things happen, but one of these days, there's going to be a final battle. There's going to be that great battle, the great day of God Almighty. And guess who's going to get the glory on that battle? God. Once again, because God's going to set everything straight. God's going to get everything right. And you know what? History should cause us to fear God. When you just look at how God has dealt with other nations in the past, when how God has taken down world empires... And for the very things that we see here, God has taken them down. That should cause us to fear God. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in our country that ought to just get us looking up at the sky every once in a while, wondering when the fire and brimstone is going to start to fall. You know, our heart should skip a beat every time we see a shooting star or something in the sky. Thinking, here it comes. You know, that, that, should, that should be our attitude. When you see all the wickedness that goes on in this country, it should cause us to just be a little concerned. And let me tell you something. If the fire and brimstone starts to fall, you know, or some, you know, some kind of judgment comes in this country, 
There's nothing that says it's not going to affect any of us. Because you know what? We've all benefited from the looting and pillaging of other countries. You know, and if we have to go through some kind of famine, you know what? We got nothing to complain about. If we go through some horrible time of poverty, even as Christians, we have benefited so much from these things. When you look at all the tax money that they steal from other people that they've been putting back in our bank accounts, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, I, don't, I, I just somehow think this is going to come back on us one of these days. Especially if we keep, you know, promoting this type of thing. It's not good. So, verse 15 says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. And what I believe he's talking about here, obviously he's kind of using an illustration of something that an individual might do. An individual, a wicked individual, might give somebody something to drink and get them drunk so they could take advantage of them. You know, uh, you know, today they sometimes they'll drug people up. You got guys like Bill Cosby. You know, remember you remember all the stories that came out about him, how he's drugging these women up. Why is he doing this? So he can take advantage of them. And so one of the things that you know a wicked person does, and there's a curse when they do this. You give somebody a, you give somebody a drink to get them drunk, so you can take advantage of them. There is a curse on you if you do that type of thing. And so uh, a nation, nations often do this. And I believe Babylon did this kind of thing where a nation will often give you things, but only as a way to get you to sin so they can take advantage of you. And isn't that what we see in the book of Revelation? Babylon, she's the one that got the kings of the earth to commit fornication. Babylon in the future is uh, God. They is a you know, wicked you know, entity, government, whatever it is, but it causes kings to commit fornication, to do wickedness. And we see that's what they did. And so whether they literally were giving other kings wine, trying to get them to pervert judgment, or whether they were just bringing gifts and things, giving things to people so they could basically take advantage of them later. Maybe that's why they're giving us all stimulus checks and things right now too. Now, who knows? But let me tell you, there's a curse on the people that will do that kind of thing. And they do that because not because they have your best interest in mind. They're not giving these people wine so they can have a good time and a merry heart. No, they're doing it because they're going to take advantage of them. And that's how Babylon was. They weren't thinking about other nations. They were thinking about themselves. They were a wicked, corrupt, just bloodthirsty, money-hungry people. And God was going to deal with them. So the nation... Uh, this nation, they deceitfully got other nations drunk so they could take advantage. Uh, so, verse 17 says, For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and the teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it, 
but the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. So the Babylonians, they were going to pay dearly for their sin and for their giving of God's glory to their dumb idols. We saw that last week in chapter 1 when all this was going on. Whenever you know, God raises them up so they can, and they're taking over the world, we see, saw last week how they gave glory to their gods. We see here in chapter 2, they're making these images. They're just carved out of wood. Yeah, they've got them covered with gold. They've got some value to them, but they're dumb. They can't breathe. They contributed nothing. They did nothing. And yet the Babylonians, here they've got all this wealth. They've got all this power. And what do they do? They don't give glory to God. They give glory to their false gods. And I'm telling you, God does not like that. When we glorify other gods, when we give it to them over God Almighty, you know who God usually ends up going after? Those gods. And think about this. In America, what is it that we're constantly depending on? How about we, you know, we hear our leaders like to brag about our military power quite a bit. Hey, you know what? I mean, I'm thankful for our military and all that they've done, but you know what? Let's not uh, put them above God. Okay? We've seen God take care of massive militaries with just a few people. And you know what? I don't care what kind of nukes we got, what kind of technology. We need God on our side. Way more important than any military. Let's not make too big of a deal about that. How about our money? I like to talk about our finances and look at all we've got. You know, look at our, just our fruited plain and just all the abundance and all our technology and all that we're able to accomplish. These are the things that we worship and that we glorify in our country today. Why is it, you know, every year when they do their State of the Union address and the politicians making all these speeches, what do they do? They get up and they give glory to themselves for everything that we have in this country. Thanks to my policies, we now have this and we have that. I saved you all from COVID. You know, I saved the economy. I did this. I did that. You know, we got together in Congress and we came up with this bill. We did all these things. You know what? Might want to praise God a little bit. And you know, and sometimes they throw God a little bit of a bone. You know, and they'll say, God bless America. All right. You know, hey, I mean, better than nothing, but at the same time, I think God needs a whole lot more than what He's getting. A whole lot more than what He's getting. And if we don't, if we don't stop giving glory to these things, you know what? You know, we're really that proud of our technology and all that kind of stuff. Well, we better watch it. You know what? The Lord, you know, He might just let us this drought continue. He might let the power grid go down. And then think about what would happen in this country if the power grid went down. We would turn into cavemen so fast, it wouldn't even be funny. I mean, I just, I, I can't imagine how, you know, we do. We think we're so great just because we have technology. But yet, we're nothing without it. Take that technology away and watch everything fall apart. And we keep worshiping these things. We keep giving them the credit. God just might take those things out. So we better watch out for that. Yes, I'm thankful that we have a very fruitful country. You know, we're, you know, we live in Illinois where we have a lot of good ground and a lot of good crops and things. But you know what? Let's just keep on giving ourselves the credit for that kind of thing. And we might just have a famine in this land. We could just have a drought. And you know what they'll do? They'll just blame it on climate change. 
They'll just say it's because we're burning too many fossil fuels and we haven't given the government enough power. They won't even repent and get right with God then. I, I believe God's going to do all these things one of these days. I just don't know when, but I believe He's going to do it. God's going to attack every one of these things. And so we can go on and on talking about this, but I want you to turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 36 because right here in chapter 2, we see God basically declaring what He's going to do. Now, th- this prophecy, I don't know exactly uh, when this prophecy was given, but it was before uh, probably several years, maybe 10 years or so, roughly speaking, before the Babylonians completely took over Jerusalem. So the, the truth is, the fulfillment of this probably wasn't for another 80 years. But let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 36, because this is just it, this is all in one chapter, but yet it kind of gives the history of everything that's been prophesied here. And we're going to see God did exactly what God said He was going to do. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Second uh, Chronicles 36 verse 11 says, Zedekiah was one and twenty years old and began to reign. He reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. And it was, and one of the reasons I think it was about 10 years is because when they first came and took over, they made Zedekiah king instead of uh, Jehoiakim or Jehoiachin, one of those guys. And they made Zedekiah the king. He was just kind of their little puppet. But then later, when they completely took over, that was when they put out his eyes. And we, we can read about that story. But it says, And he did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet speaking from the mouth of the Lord. Because Jeremiah was speaking during the same time. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar and made him swear by his God, by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. This is what probably one of the things Habakkuk was talking about, where the people were perverting the ways of God when they were in this difficult time. And so verse 15, And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by His messengers, rising up betimes, meaning early, and sending, because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. He had messengers like Habakkuk who came and He warned them. And He told them to get right, but they didn't listen. Look at it says, But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words, and misused his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. And right here, we see that's what's going on. That, that's probably how this book was received. That book of Habakkuk, what, what did that book accomplish? What did that prophecy accomplish? Well, I believe according to Second Chronicles chapter 36, nothing. But you know what it does do? It's something that we all have so we can look back today and say, you know what? We better trust God. We better have faith. God's going to do what God says He's going to do. If God says God, He's going to judge somebody, He's going to judge somebody. It's going to happen. So Habakkuk didn't accomplish nothing. Okay? It has been good. This past, you know, that phrase, the just shall live by faith, has been being used for the last 2,000 years. The New Testament writers used it. But verse 17 says, Therefore, he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. And Habakkuk said that was going to happen. He's like, I know how these people are. They're not going to have any mercy. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. 
And that's, and that's what it talked about in Habakkuk. They looted the place. They looted the house of God. The last verse, Habakkuk 2.20, that we looked at, but the Lord is in His holy temple. And yet these people had the gall to go into the temple of God and to steal from it. It says, the treasure of the house of the Lord, the treasure of the king, and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon, and they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths for as long as she lay desolate she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. And that what God did there is when God decided the timeline for how long they were going to be in captivity, there were 70 Sabbath years. where they, Every seven years, they were supposed to let the land rest. And so for 490 years, they never obeyed that command. And so God said, you know what? I'm going to get those 70 years. I'm just going to get them all at once. And your land's going to lay there desolate for 70 years. And that was prophesied by Jeremiah that was going to happen. Habakkuk, he didn't prophesy that. Uh, that hadn't been revealed yet. I believe that got revealed probably shortly after this by the prophet Jeremiah. But that goes along with what we see in chapter 2. This has an appointed time. There, there is an appointed time for this. And so verse 22 says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord is God be with him, and let him go up. So think about this. The Babylonians looted God's temple. They thought it was their power. They thought that they did it. And you know what? God showed them. And God took it all away from them in a night. And then here's what's interesting about this. Because again, you're not going to steal from God and get away from it. So now we've got the Medes and Persians that are the new world empire. All that wealth that the Babylonians had gotten for themselves, the Medes and the Persians now have it. But you know what's interesting God put it in Cyrus's heart to rebuild the temple. And we read in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, we see how not only did they, were they allowed to be restored back to their land, but they even paid for the rebuilding of everything. God basically put it in their heart to pay back everything that they had done, everything they had taken. You know what? God got his stuff back. God took care, God took care of things and... God's always going to make things right. Now turn over to Daniel 5. Now hopefully you remember some of these mental notes we made because we don't have time to go back and look at them again. But now in Deuteronomy, and so in 2 Chronicles 36, it just briefly just tells us. Babylonians took over. Seven years later, Cyrus takes over. Okay, But it doesn't give us all the details of everything that went down. But we all know this story because this is when it was fulfilled. This is when it happened. The, the, we all know this story. This is the fulfillment of this prophecy that we see in Habakkuk 2. In Daniel chapter 5, it says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to thousands of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Remember the drinking wine that it talked about in 
Habakkuk 2 talked a lot about that. It seemed how they used to get things done, how they would influence people. You know, they like to do these things and just, uh, to, you know, just fulfill their lusts. So they're all drinking wine one day. And it says, Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which is in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. So 70 years later, hey, let's go get those vessels that my father stole from the temple of God. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and concubines drank in them. These were holy vessels too. These things were sacred. They were set apart for the service of God. Yet they're drinking wine and partying with these things. So they drank wine and praised the gods of gold. What did it say that they were going to do in Habakkuk 2? They were going to give glory to their gods for all these things. And here they are drinking the vessels from the house of God and they're giving glory to their gods. What a wicked thing this was. They praised the gods of gold and silver and brass and iron of wood and of stone. Habakkuk talked about those idols. He said they can't do anything. can't breathe. They can't do anything. But yet they're praising them. So in the same hour came forth the fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick. That's that, that menorah that we, that's in, was in the temple. Right over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. And I love the picture of that. They're standing in front of everybody. His knees are knocking together. Scared out of his mind. You know what? He's not so proud anymore, is he? Imagine just seeing a big hand just come floating in the room and riding on the wall. That'd get your attention. That'd get your attention. And you all know what it said. It had the meanie, meanie, tekel, your far sin. Basically said, y'all are weighed in the balance and found wanting. And y'all are dead. That was, that, was basically the, that was basically the prophecy. And it says in verse 22, And thou, hast, Daniel speaking, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and that thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. God's still mad about this. Seventy years later, you know why? Because God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget these things. God remembers. And jump to verse 30. And here's where it all gets good. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Guess what? Exactly what the prophet Habakkuk prophesied would happen, it happened. It's interesting too how all the things that he talked about back then, we see them literally participating in those very things that night. The night that God decides, I'm taking care of you people. At the end of that 70 years, God declares the end for the beginning. God knows exactly what's going to happen. God knows how, how, how things are going to play out. And God, He would speak through His prophets so we would all know, so we could look at these things. And let me tell you, the thing we've got to understand about the judgment of God 
is we don't always know when it's coming, but we just need to have faith that will come. It's going to come. And when it comes, it will be severe, but it will be right. And I, I wish I could tell you some timelines, uh, but, you know, I can't. You know, it's, but God, God knows what He's going to do. I could give God all kinds of ideas for how He could deal with some things and deal with some people. But God's way is better. And folks, is this not a fantastic ending that we see there? I mean, if it had been me, you know, I'd have gotten too anxious and I'd have done it a lot earlier probably and wouldn't have accomplished much. But what an amazing thing. I mean, you know, when Belshazzar is being as arrogant as you can be, partying with the holy temple, uh, the vessels, you know, giving praise to his gods, and then for God to just humiliate him first, make him stand there, knees knocking together, scared to death, and then that night to just take care of business. I don't know about you, but you say that, that's a bad attitude. You know, you should feel sad about that. Now, I feel great when I read stories like that because there are there's there's a lot of wicked leaders in this world today. And you know what this tells me? God's going to take care of them. God, God's going to take care of them. I, and you know, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about how these things are going to play out. God's going to take care of things. God knows what's going on when it comes to uh, the world affairs. And you know what? Not just the world affairs, but your own personal affairs too. If you got, you know, if you've been wrong, God's going to take care of that stuff. God, God knows what He's doing. And that is why it is a waste of time for us to try to get vengeance. It belongs to God. He's going to do so much better than we can ever do. But here's that downside. We got to wait for it. We got to wait for it. But if you get anything from this message, just get this. Just trust God. He knows what he's doing. And don't panic. Just trust him. The just shall live by faith. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. Uh, for this wonderful example of your righteous judgment that we have in your word. I pray that uh, you'll use it, dear Lord, to just encourage all of our hearts and to just to rest in the fact that you know what's going on. Help us not to just grieve ourselves and uh, even even think about uh, some of the wickedness that's going on in this world or even things that have been done to us. Lord, help us to put it behind us and to just move forward knowing that uh, you know what's going on and you can take care of it better than we ever could. So in your name we pray. Amen.